Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Zamprin. Will Canada try to regulate Facebook? Women in Afghanistan continue to adjust to the Taliban's reign. A big boost for Hamilton's downtown arena project. The Bulldogs return to the ice for the first time in a long time. Paul and Shona join me on Good Morning Hamilton Roundtable, and Hamilton's effectuation with the Evelyn Dick story continues. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. After the whistleblower testimony against Facebook before U.S. Congress earlier this week, Ottawa is now being called upon to crack down on the social media giants. But how can the government do so? Let's ask our next guest. Dr. Ramona Pringle is the associate professor at Ryerson University and the director of the Creative Innovation Studio in Transmedia Zone and Global Campus Studio at the RTA School of Media. Dr. Pringle, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning, Rick. Um, Regulation uh, of Facebook. What can the Canadian government do and what can't the government do? You know, that's a great question. And it's something that has been up for discussion even long before this whistleblower came forward. One of the tricky things about regulation is that Facebook is such an enormous entity. When you consider how many users it's got compared to, excuse me, how many Canadian citizens there are, when you consider its deep pockets to be able to afford um, lawyers, to be able to battle and push back on things, uh, the power dynamic of a country like Canada that's not that big compared to a, you know, behemoth, a corporate behemoth like Facebook is, I think, one of the biggest challenges where we've seen strides when it comes to regulation has been in the EU, where, you know, together as a super force, the EU was able to pass what was called the GDPR, privacy regulations. That came on the heels of what I would say the last big, big scandal, although it feels like Facebook's often facing scandals, (laughs) uh, which was the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which was all around data and privacy. Um, Certainly the U.S. has the size and might and power to be able to make some strides as well. Not to say that we can't or shouldn't. I think now is the time. But I do think the challenges there are that Facebook is a very unique company in terms of its very unique um, power and, uh, and deep pockets. Is the greater likelihood, you mentioned the EU and and the U.S., is the greater likelihood one of those uh, countries or continents um, or organizations gets together on some kind of oversight body as opposed to one specific country going after Facebook? I think that's what we're going to need to see. I think there will be a global shift where multiple countries, multiple regions of the world all start taking action. You know, one of the examples uh, or maybe the two industries that get brought up a lot as examples are the tobacco industry and the automobile industry. And, you know, uh, it, it would be mayhem if anyone at any age was allowed to drive without driver's tests and you didn't need to wear seatbelts. Uh, interestingly, with um, tobacco, for a long time, governments didn't want to regulate. They said even if even once they learned about lung cancer risks, the thought was, it's your own choice. You're choosing to smoke. You deal with the consequences. It was only when um, researchers started discovering second the effects of secondhand smoke and that people who weren't themselves making the choice to um, engage with tobacco products were suffering repercussions that they stepped in with regulation. I think that's where we're at now is it's not just, you know, we there are 
um, terrible scenarios that we hear about young women and mental health or body image. This is some of the research that even came out with the latest round of whistleblowing um, in you know Instagram, let's say. But also, you know, social divide and how it's affecting politics and the spread of disinformation. These are all real social concerns where now the effect is greater than just the one person who's logging in and making decisions to use the platform. So I think it's the time for governments to step in. And I do think it's not just going to be up to the Canadian government. I think we'll see action south of the border and in Europe. But I think that's not an excuse for the Canadian government not to make steps themselves, but they will not be alone in the long run. Our guest is Dr. Ramona Pringle, Associate Professor at Ryerson University. We're chatting about uh, Facebook and the whistleblowing case, and that whistleblower was Frances Haugen. Do you think her testimony may open the door to possible lawsuits down the road? Because we're talking about mental health, uh, social polarization. Can this lead to any lawsuits? That's a really interesting question. Certainly some of this um, has come up before, you know, in in my circles, it's not the first time that we're hearing about uh, the negative effects on mental health and the negative effects on young people and body image. It's certainly possible that lawsuits are going to come up in the face of this, um, uh, you know, and, and, and that's yet to be seen. In fact, you know, one of the interesting things in response to her testimony is that Facebook themselves has said that they would like to see regulation. They would like to have government stepping up and third party independent oversight. Now, how much of that do they really want? Because this is a business and they are you know, running those algorithms based on what is most financially viable. Um, but, you know, so how much of that is PR speak and how much of it is genuine, like even Frances Haugen, when she has spoken up, has said she has a love for Facebook. She has a love for the product and um, what it, it what its capabilities are, how it could be used for good, but that it's so big and it's gotten so complicated that it's a that these questions around um, regulation, around using algorithms in the right way are so complicated that there does need to be multiple parties coming to the table. So to, to your question about lawsuits, I mean, it's another reason why they would be open to more open to regulation than they may have been in the past, because A, it may help them sidestep uh, some of that controversy. Uh, and, and even for employment, for you know people like Frances Haugen, if they want to get the best employees, they're going to have to make sure that they aren't um, viewed as villains. It's a great point. Dr. Pringle, thanks for your time today. Enjoy the Thanksgiving uh, long weekend. Oh, you too. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thanks. Uh, That is Dr. Ramona Pringle, Associate Professor at Ryerson University. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. In the weeks since the fall of the Afghan government, there's been a debate over Canada's and the coalition partners' involvement in the U.S.-led mission. The question heard over and over again has been, was it worth it? Was it worth going over there and um, being a part of this 20-year war on terror? And and what is the legacy of this military operation? Well, tomorrow night on the new reality on Global TV, Global's Mike Armstrong is going to look at the future of Afghanistan, especially for women. And Mike joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very well. Good morning. So what are we going to see? What are we going to hear on the new reality tomorrow night? Yeah, we spoke to uh, several women, uh, some who escaped uh, Afghanistan when the Taliban rolled in. We spoke to one who 
left uh, several years ago because her life was uh, in danger. She's now living in Canada. And we also spoke to a couple who are still living in Kabul. We've hidden their identity because, uh, you know, speaking to the foreign media like this might put them in danger. Um, but you hear from people who are on the ground about what it's like in Afghanistan right now. Um, and the reason we wanted to do it, I'll tell you, one of the reasons we wanted to do it was because of a comment that I heard from a Canadian soldier. And this was somebody who lost a leg in Afghanistan. And he said he had been contacted by several journalists who wanted to do a story about, uh, they each wanted to do stories about how it was all a waste. And he said that's not at all how he looks at it. Uh, he said something was accomplished. Um, and he said, here's how he put it. For every Canadian soldier who fell, 100 Afghan women lived. And so we put that question to Afghan women and said, you know, what was accomplished? And we did hear back that they said, you know what? There was a period of blossoming for 20 years where women knew freedoms and something was accomplished. Uh, that said, there is some frustration and anger now with foreign governments uh, who they, towards whom they feel a sense of uh, abandonment right now, or as one woman put it to us, uh, they feel as though they've been cast aside. What is the new reality for women in Afghanistan now that the Taliban is uh, reigning supreme again, if you will? There's been a loss of freedoms. It was pretty immediate, and uh, it seems to be getting worse. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of education, girls can't go to school after grade six. Um, and there's, it's unbelievable what was accomplished, by the way, in that country in terms of education. Uh, in 2001, girls and women represented less than 1% of students in schools in Afghanistan, and now they're, until the Taliban took over again, they were 40%. Um, so there were some big improvements there. And then you've got clothing. Women have to cover up. The burqa hasn't been ordered officially, but it's being worn more and more often. And then just in terms of liberty for women, women are not allowed to leave their homes without a mahram. That's a male relative, uh, basically, who acts as an escort, uh, which basically puts them completely uh, at the mercy of the men in their lives. They literally cannot leave their houses, uh, their homes, without someone, without a man giving them permission and then going with them. Uh, when you speak to women and they say that, you know, right now they can't work, they can't leave the house, and all they do is cry all day, it gives you an impression of how rough things are. Wow. We're chatting with Mike Armstrong, Global National Correspondent here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, you mentioned uh, the Allied troops, uh, Canadian troops, uh, some of whom lost their lives during uh, this 20-year uh, military operation in Afghanistan. Many others are back home, but they must be frustrated as well to see what is going on right now. Yeah, they, you know, you hear that from uh, a lot of the soldiers. Uh, they want to avoid that was it all a waste thing? Because I don't think you can think that way. As a matter of fact, uh, there was so much uh, bloodshed and, and so much pain over so many years. Um, that would obviously not be a healthy way to do it. As a matter of fact, we wanted to include a soldier in this story, the soldier that inspired it. And uh, unfortunately, he's still dealing with some stuff and uh, canceled uh, completely understandably. We did not apply any pressure, uh, but it gives you an idea. His incident where he lost his leg was... You know, more than a decade ago. And, uh, well, whether you lost a leg or you still have both your legs, you're still probably carrying um, some uh, a legacy from what you went through over there. 
and that has made this summer very, very difficult for a lot of uh, Canadian soldiers. And we've obviously followed a lot of what was going on with interpreters as well and seen that Canadian soldiers have tried to make a difference in that right up to today and continue, by the way. Uh, we only got about a minute here, but is there any hope that some of the things that were gained in Afghanistan, like education, um, can any of that be preserved? Can any of that be recaptured? Yeah, it's tough, uh, but there's hope. Uh, and I'll tell you one of the things that's going to make a difference really is technology. And for a few reasons, you know, first of all, it's going to be harder for the international community just to ignore the atrocities in Afghanistan. When the Taliban was in, in control the last time, people had to put their lives on the line to smuggle out uh, video cassettes. And that's how we heard about Taliban atrocities and beheadings in soccer stadiums, things like that. Well, this time around, you've got cell phones, you've got cell phone cameras, you've got social media, and already we're seeing, you know, awful videos getting out. Uh, and so it's easier to understand what's going on there. As well as technology, uh, you know, the, the Taliban might want to get rid of it, but their fighters need it as well. And I'll add that education, in terms of education, there used to be underground schools where people put their lives on the line to teach girls or teach young women. Well, now some of that can be done online uh, due to technology. We even spoke to a woman who's learning English from a teacher in Calgary. Um, so, you know, maybe some of that legacy can be kept and maybe some of that, some resistance can sort of build, although we did hear over and over that there's fear uh, of a civil war. You can watch Mike Armstrong's full report on the new reality tomorrow at 7 p.m. on Global, and you can also listen to it on CHML Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Mike, really appreciate the time today. Enjoy the Thanksgiving weekend. You too. Thank you very much. That's Mike Armstrong, Global National Correspondent here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Exciting news in the city of Hamilton in terms of what is happening downtown. We see a lot of cranes, some new condos, new projects downtown. Uh, But uh, the revitalization of the downtown is about to take its next step. And a big part of that is the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group's plan to really add a huge spark into the downtown in terms of a revitalized convention center, a revamped concert hall, and a re-energized First Ontario Centre, the downtown Hamilton Arena. And we have some exciting news to share with you about that with a partner and director of the Arena Renovation Project, Jasper Kujawski, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jasper. Good morning, Rick. Um, Well, tell us what's going on. We have some exciting news in regards to the downtown Arena Project, and a new partner is on board. What's happening? Well, uh, we're thrilled to be able to partner with the Oakview Group who are well known as a, as a global giant in sport uh, arena and, and, and venue uh, construction development management. Um, Tim Laiwicki was the former uh, CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Irving Azoff, a huge person in the music industry. Peter Luco and a number of other individuals who are part, Francesca Bodhi of that, of that organization. And people will, will know that, for example, they, they were the uh, team behind the development of the new uh, renovated arena in Seattle, which, will, which is opening now as the home of the new NHL team, the Kraken. They developed a new home of the New York Islanders at Belmont Park on, in Long Island, UBS Arena. So they've got some exciting projects on the go all, all over the world, in Europe, in, uh, in North America. But this is their first... Uh, sort of stake in the ground in Canada. 
And the fact that we're able to partner with them gives us uh, an opportunity to do a renovation of the Coliseum that will be substantially more uh, upgraded than, than the minimum of what we promised the city under the terms of the agreement that we've reached with them. So how did this partnership come about? Did the local group reach out to Oakview Group or was it vice versa? And what will the arena look like now that they're involved? It was vice versa in the sense that uh, the Oakview Group reached out to us. And they knew at that point that we had been selected by the city and that we had essentially completed our agreement with the city to take over the, uh, the three venues. We had originally, there had been an, a, a contact with the Oakview Group. Some people might recall back in 2018, there was a discussion about the management contracts on the arena. And at that time, uh, the Carmen's Group and as I was, you know, the team uh, looked at the opportunity potentially to to try to take over those management contracts. And we had discussions with Oakview Group at that time, but everybody backed off. The existing contracts were extended at that period in 2019. But what that did was, it I think it created a spark inside Hamilton City Hall where they said, well, we've got this interest in the future of the facilities. Uh, our team had already completed the arena renovation study in 2015-2016, which Carmen's, of course, was a major part of, and that effectively gave birth to the creation of this group, Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group, that then ultimately in 2020 and through 2021 got control of the facilities. And when we did that, the Oakview Group reached out to us and said, look, we're excited about what you're doing. We think there's an enormous opportunity in Hamilton. And if you're going to take on the renovation of the Coliseum, you know, let's really do it right. And that's what created the opportunity to joint venture partner with them and increase the scale and scope of the project. Last question for you, and we got to run. I only got about 30 seconds. When will the work begin and when will it end? We expect work on the building will take place in 2022 and very significant work in 23, which at some point is going to require a building shutdown. And we hope to have the renovated Coliseum open and ready to go in late 23. Exciting stuff. Jasper, really appreciate the time today. Enjoy the Thanksgiving weekend as well. You too. That is... That is Jasper Kujawski, Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group partner and director of the Arena Renovation Project. It is an exciting project and another revitalization effort to spruce up, not only spruce up might be an understatement, to uh, jack up the downtown, if I can put it that way. It's exciting times. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. It is a huge night for hockey fans in Hamilton because for the first time in a long time, a bull Bulldogs are back on the ice, and here to chat about it is Bulldogs play-by-play announcer Reed Duffy. Reed, good morning. Good morning, Rick. 581 days later, we go back to the ice tonight. This must feel like Christmas morning for you and the players. Yes, yes it does, very much. I've been looking forward to this um, exactly like that. It is. I know it's, it's Thanksgiving weekend, but I think my <laughs> holiday act absolutely is uh, today and, and tomorrow uh, with the return to the ice of the Bulldogs and uh, getting back into the broadcast booth. Uh, I was lucky. I got to do some of the exhibition games because, you know, I, I've done play-by-play now for, this is 14 years, and I was still worried that I might have forgot how to do 
(laughs) (laughs) It's like riding a bike, I can imagine. Tonight, the dogs uh, are in Oshawa, and their home opener is tomorrow against Barrie. And that's going to be a special night for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the first time it'll be 582 days tomorrow. But uh, the audience is going to be, I guess, a special crowd. Tell us about it. Yeah, there are going to be, uh, it sounds like 2,000 frontline workers in the crowd for us. Uh, we've partnered with St. Joe's to bring in the, the people that so richly deserve a night off and a night out and to be able to thank them for everything they've done uh, throughout this entire pandemic. Uh, it's going to be very emotional, uh, not just for the return to the ice, but to be able to honor them, thank them properly for everything they've done, everything that they continue to do, really for putting their lives on the line for us, Rick. And, and that's, that's something very, very special. We're honored to be a part of this. So the last time we saw the dogs uh, on the ice, uh, in terms of regular season play at least, March 2019, a lot has changed, just like a lot has changed in our world. Uh, many hockey teams in the OHL have changed. In, in Hamilton's case in particular, they have a new head coach. Tell us about Jay McKee and his influence uh, on this team. It was really something to watch the first practice with Jay McKee out on the ice. You can see the respect that he he garners not only from 800-plus games in the National Hockey League, but from his presence and the way he works with the players. There's no goofing around when Jay McKee is talking. Everybody is direct into him. He's got a line with these players. He understands how to work with these players. And the style, Rick, that he is asking for his guys to play Oh, Hamilton is going to have fun this season. This is an up-tempo team that moves the puck fast. They play hard. They are really fun to watch just in practice. I can't imagine how much fun it's going to be when they get to the ice. Reed Duthie is the play-by-play voice of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Their first game is tonight. They're on the road in Oshawa, home opener tomorrow night against Barry. Um, given the new coach and the style of play that he wants to employ, what are the expectations of this Bulldogs team this year? Very, very high. Uh, there's no reason that this Bulldogs team cannot be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Of course, we won't see the Western Conference in the crossover this year uh, with the way the schedule was done. So it, it's going to be a little bit tough to judge where they will be in total, but they've got to be at the top of the Eastern Conference. When you look at the team that was left at the end of the uh, abbreviated 1920 season, the majority of that team returns. They're older, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're smarter. And then you bring in a raft of young players that are really, really top-shelf kind of players. And you factor in teams around the league that tried to load up for that 1920 season and players leaving. The Bulldogs didn't have that many that go, yes, Arthur Kaliev is a big loss. Yes, Isaac Nurse is a big loss. But overall, the Bulldogs keep a vast majority of a very, very good core. This is is an exciting time to be with the Hamilton Bulldogs. And, Rick, I think they're on the road to something special this season. You mentioned Isaac Nurse departing. Uh, The the, the captain is out the door, but there's a new captain in Bulldogs land. Tell us about him. Colton Kammer is born to wear a seat. Um, This is a young man who, to know him is to respect him. He just gives off that vibe when you're around him. This is a leader. This is a true captain. And when you've got a leadership group around you that includes Navarin Mutter, nobody's saying a bad word to Navarin Mutter. We all know that. Jan Mishak captained the Czech Republic at the World Juniors at 18 years old. That's nearly unheard of. And then you added Nathan Steos and Logan Morrison, who will be amongst the, the leaders in scoring for the Bulldogs this season. I mean, Nathan Steos could break Cade Landry's single-season record for Bulldogs defensive scoring. 
this is a really good leadership group, and Colton Cameron is the right young man at the right time to lead them. We've got about 30 seconds. From a fan perspective, we know that capacity is not going to be as it once was at First Ontario. What can fans expect on game day when they head out to the arena? Oh, a whole lot of fun. We have one of the biggest buildings in the league, so 50% means we're at 8,500. We want to fill that bowl. Tickets are available at HamiltonBulldogs.com. Group, seasons, flex, single game. You can get whatever you want to get down and see this team. It's going to be fast. It's going to be fun. And, of course, it's always great for families. We'll have Bruiser in the building. We've got the in-arena host available to go. It's going to feel a lot like it did before the pandemic, Rick. Obviously, still some things that aren't going to be able to be done. But overall, it, it feels like we're on that road back to normal. And it's, uh, it's great to see. Reed. really appreciate the time. Good luck with the call tonight and have fun this season. Thank you so much, Rick. Pleasure to be with you. Love it anytime. Reed Duffy, Bulldogs play-by-play announcer, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. It is time for the GMH Roundtable here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Friday edition with Paul and Shona. Good morning. Good, Good morning. Good weekend morning. Yeah, we made it. Yeah, yeah. we did. Three days off. <laughs> For some, yes. in a row. Oh, yes. <laughs> See, you're so dedicated, Rick. Yes. You're going to be here for Good Morning Hamilton Monday morning. Dedicated is one word you can use. <laughs> <laughs> Will there be lots of pumpkin pumpkin spice in your future? Uh, I'm not a big pumpkin spice guy, but I do love pumpkin pie. There is it's pumpkin just... spice in that pie. Yeah, I know that, but I'm not like a sp- a, a pumpkin spice latte guy. Um, and I'm no. not one of those or person. Doesn't have to be a guy. Um, but I will say this. My son, who's taking um, hospitality and tourism in one of his courses in high school, has been baking up a storm in his class. Good for him. Earlier this week, made a banana bread that, uh, I didn't tell him to his face, but trumps my banana bread. <laughs> and he also made it. It's an, out there now, right? Yeah, I know. He made an apple pie yesterday, and it was glorious. Really? Wow. So, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, yeah. but in the interest of investigative reporting... yes. We're going to need to examine this. I'll bring some in on Monday. That would be sweet. Wait a minute. We're not here on Monday. <laughs> Thank you, Jody. You're much faster than me. I was, I'm going, oh, that's a good idea. Thank you. I'll let you know how it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Let's start with this. It, uh, it exploded onto our phones and in our newscasts uh, throughout the day yesterday. I think every general manager, every ownership wants guys to come out if they need help. Seek it and move on and have a life because your hockey career lasts so many years, but you have the rest of your life, your kids, your family. That's what that's the most important thing. So that is the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, Mark Bergevin, talking about uh, Canadians goalie Carey Price voluntarily entering the NHL NHLPA player assistance program. Um, you know, really by, uh, uh, to everyone's surprise, because uh, we knew that Carey Price had undergone uh, surgery, I think it was his hip or his knee this offseason, had been battling injury issues, uh, was the driving force behind Montreal's Stanley Cup run, which ended in the final against Tampa Bay. Um, with him stepping aside to focus on what we all think is, you know, a mental health issue, and his wife kind of alluded to that on Instagram, do you think this is going to open the door for more athletes, and maybe more in particular hockey players, because it's such a macho sport, to seek help? Oh, I can't see how it wouldn't be. I mean, 
you know, I mean, there are Bobby Ryan comes to mind as someone who is in there. Uh, Jonathan Duran's part of that program yeah. right now. I think he's still in that program, is he? Um, but those aren't the names like Carey Price. Yeah. I mean, Carey Price is the goalie. I know that he may not be considered the best goalie right now, but he sure is Canada's best. Um, and he is such a face of the NHL. When someone who is the face of the NHL comes out and says, I need to be involved in this assistance program, I don't see how that can't uh, help other hockey players who need it. And I think, quite frankly, it helps other Canadians who may need similar kind of assistance. It's a very brave thing to do. How times have changed, though, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, even 10 years ago, if, so, if I, somebody like Carey Price said, oh, I need an assistance program, There'd be people like Don Cherry on the air saying, eh, what a wimp. Yeah. Times have certainly changed. Yes, and for, and the, for, better. The, for the better, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, uh, Simone Biles, Carrie Price, mm-hmm. these issues coming to the fore. We have this image of athletes as being superhuman. Yeah. And they're not. We demand that every single time either they're on the ice or they, you know, um, uh, compete in a gymnastics competition, that they be at the absolute peak of their uh, capabilities. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. That's not human. Yeah, think about yourself in, in an ordinary workplace. I mean, are you operating at your peak mentally and or physically, depending on what job you do, every moment of your life? Now add to that... 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people watching you do your job. And screaming at you if you're yeah. not doing it right. Exactly. But, you know, here, here's a guy who every time he makes a mistake, uh, you know, a red light goes off and people either cheer or boo. I mean, mentally, that's exhausting after so many years. And I'm glad he's seeking some help. And yeah, you mentioned Simone Biles. I mean, she did it during the Olympics. Yes. Naomi Osaka, you know, during Wimbledon, exactly. you know, a major tennis tournament. So yeah, let's hope in this, let's hope. Carey Price's name and what he's doing opens the door and allows other hockey players and other athletes, period, other people, to seek the help that they need when they need it. Well, and you alluded that this may be a mental health issue. Indeed, we don't know for sure mm-hmm. what the reason is. And that's okay, too, because so many, so much of their lives are lived out for us to digest yeah. in one way or another. And there are times when their privacy is their choice and should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we wish uh, Kerry and his family the best of luck, that is for sure. Uh, we heard yesterday that trick-or-treating is going to be allowed this Halloween, and our online poll question is asking, are you comfortable with children going door-to-door this Halloween? And uh, right now the survey says 62% say yes. Uh, Paul, are you comfortable with kids coming to your door or going oh, door-to-door? Yes, I just love the fact that a whole bunch of unvaccinated kids are going to come screaming at my door, yell, trick-or-treat, <laughs> trick-or-treat, and want me to give them something for free. No, I'm only kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> Get off my lawn! Is there a Scrooge version of Halloween? That would be Paul. No, but I know Paul's. I know Paul's costume this year is going to be closer to what Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of comfortable with it. You know what? Yeah. I mean, they are unvaccinated. I mean, yeah. that's a fact. They are unvaccinated. Um, I am fully vaccinated, so that makes me feel a little bit better. I certainly am glad that Halloween has resumed. I mean, for their mental health. Yeah. I think it's really important that things like Halloween are back in and part of uh, data or you know are part of our activities i'll probably do kind of what i was thinking of doing last year if they allowed it and that is just putting out a bowl not leaving a bowl that's all and kid can grab a ton uh, as i see a kid's coming up i will put something out in a bowl before they arrive at my door 
the, and I'll just stand through the door. Mainly, too, as well, I have a dog that goes absolutely insane. When he <laughs> Same here. Yes. You know, I'll, you know, yeah, I'm glad they're coming. I'm thrilled. I'm going to be part of giving out the candy. Maybe not right to their face, though. Yeah. Okay. Jonah, you comfortable? Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, what Paul was saying is so true about, I mean, you talk about Christmas is probably one of the biggest times of the year for kids mm-hmm. with all that anticipation. You know, Halloween is a pretty close number two. And so, the, you know, I really think that it's important for kids to be able to get out there again. But we'll be doing uh, Halloween pretty much the way Paul was describing. Table, bowl, putting some treats in, yeah. watching the kids come by at a safe distance. That's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you guys, too. Have the bowl out. Uh, you know, p- pick your treats. Uh, you know, add to the bucket as it, it gets uh, depleted and replenish it as the night goes on. Uh, and finally, there is this. I just look back with fondness about uh, the, the people that I've had the chance to work with that's been really the just the the joy of it all so that is daniel craig uh, for the last time playing james bond in no time to die which uh, premieres today um so the question is which actor played 007 the best paul oh you want to go with me first sure okay well i guess maybe it's a recency bias but daniel craig is absolutely fabulous he is good he is awesome at it i know sean connery's that beloved guy but I'll tell you who my favorite is, and it has to do with my age. Roger Moore was the first guy I really saw playing James Bond. Mm-hmm. I was not born in, I was, I, was, I was like four years old in 1962, Sean Connery, you know. But Roger Moore was sort of when my friends started going to the theater ourselves right. to watch James Bond. So for me, in my heart, Roger Moore, but Daniel Craig's to me is the best. Yeah. Shona? I have an order. <laughs> <laughs> We are on the clock here. <laughs> David Niven, right? You love that okay, David no. Niven. Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore, David Niven, <laughs> Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig, and then George Lazenby. Okay. I am not a Daniel Craig as Bond fan. I like Daniel Craig. I think my favorite is Pierce Brosnan. And again, it, this is in relation to Paul. You know, teenage years, mid-90s to early 2000s. You know, you're going to the theater. You're watching, you know, the latest, greatest hits. And so Pierce Brosnan, for me, is my favorite Bond. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Halloween is on the way. So each and every Friday for the next few weeks, up until Halloween, we're going to chat about some spooky, scary, haunted, and hometown stories. Today, we're discussing the infamous murder case in Hamilton that the city is still talking about, involving Evelyn Dick. She would turn 101 years old next Wednesday, if she's still alive, and there's still a mystery still to this day surrounding her end of days, or whether she's still around. Sarah Farr runs the site The Evelyn Dick Files and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Take us back to March 16th, 1946. Well, of course, it was a day when um, the sun was breaking through. There was still some snow on the ground, but it was melting, and um, a bunch of kids were out and about, and they were running along the escarpment, having some fun. They'd taken some hot dogs with them. They were going to go and cook them up there. Um, And they found something that they thought was the body of a pig. They'd found some bodies of pigs before. There were fields at the top there, of course, and some died. The pigs would fall down with their little trotters, but this one wasn't a pig, unless this pig was wearing underwear. Um, It turned out to be the body of a human, so they poked at it with sticks 
and then, of course, were quite alarmed and I imagine quite distraught and ran up to the main road to get some adult help. And um, uh, I, I was going to say the 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 torso, uh, which what was uh, was uh, that of uh, Mr. John Dick. Yes, turns out it was um, Evelyn's husband. She, um, Evelyn McLean, had married John at the Church of the Ascension on John Street South on October 4th, 1945. And of course, it was just six months later that they found his body. Um, of course, you couldn't really identify it very easily when there was no head or no arms or no legs. Um, but a brother-in-law stepped in and was able to identify him um, Poor Mr. Dick had one undescended testicle. Um, they were able to identify that. And also there was some birthmarks that um, helped understand that this was who it was. Did they ever find his head and, and extremities? No, they found um, remnants of teeth um, in the ashes that were found in the alleyway. Um, but no, unfortunately, no skull. So Evelyn is put to trial and she's sentenced yeah. to hang, but uh, there was an acquittal and an appeal and a retrial and she was set free, correct? She, well, she wasn't because she, yes, she did have, um, there was an appeal. Thank goodness J.J. Robinette stepped in and saved her life, basically. However, she also went for trial because they found the body of a baby in a suitcase encased in cement in a cardboard box in the attic of her home. And it was the discovery of the baby um, that was found during the, the search and the investigation into John Dick's murder that actually put her behind bars for 11 years. Um, she was convicted of manslaughter, um, not murder, but manslaughter. And so was sentenced for life, but did 11 years and then was released from Kingston Penitentiary for women. And that was in 1958. We're chatting with uh, Sarah Farr, who runs the site The Evelyn Dick Files, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The mystery around Evelyn Dick's later years, and there's a question of whether or not she's dead. Have we found out? I would really imagine she's dead, considering how much she was smoking. <laughs> so, you know, if she's still walking around, then she's, she's um, a great ad advertisement for a certain brand of cigarettes, beginning with C. Um, but I would greatly imagine that she has passed away by now um and the secrets of whatever were in her little black book has been part of the mystery of course these are the names of the men that she has uh been intimate with why has the and we only got about a minute here but why is this okay. remain still a hot topic to this day in this city what what makes this story so fascinating because they never had a satisfactory ending if you consider a female of not particular strength, you know, cutting off the arms and legs of, of her husband. It never really quite sat well with me, um, which is why I started researching it. And um, so now I'm trying to put all to put together all the information that I have found into a book, which is going to be called The Little Black Book. Um, and we will reveal and dig deeper into the names of the men that she had mentioned and what she had actually said during the trial. Um, because the voir dire, of course, was in camera and kept secret from the jury and was not released to the press. Um, I have seen those papers now and um, and trying to give to the public the real information of what she actually said, com conversely to 
what was reported that she had said. Well, can't wait for that book to come out. We'll have to have you back on the air when it does. Uh, Sarah? Absolutely. Yeah, Sarah, thanks for the time today. Have a spooky one. Bye-bye. <laughs> Sarah Farr runs the site The Evelyn Dick Files, joining us here on the show. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.